Waterloo. My name is Patrick Stone. You might know me as Professor Picard. When I need a status report, the only podcast I engage in is 610 News. Eric, please, turn up the volume. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of 610 News. I am this week's host, Daniel Jonathan Cohen, and I am here with... Brenda Valdivia. And Abhinav Kumar. We have a great show in store for you this week. Uh, we took last week off so that we could all drunkenly celebrate uh, the World Series champions, Woo! Houston Astros. Hell yeah. We are the champions, my friend. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you had a, an opportunity to celebrate the Astros championship as well. I am a lifelong Astros fan myself, so I had a really, really good time with that. But there's plenty to talk about this week. Uh, we had ourselves an election yesterday. Before we get started on that stuff, did mm-hmm. you cry? Did you cry during the, the thing? What, during the during the World Series yeah. victory? Yeah. Um, I think there was, there was a lot of screaming, and then, and then the world went dark, and then I... <laughs> I woke up with a hangover like ten hours later. <laughs> no, I had a great I had a great time though. It was actually I celebrated with our with our friend Chris Skelton, of course. Oh, the great yeah. Chris Skelton. I heard about that. I didn't know you were part of the blackout. That's <laughs> we uh, we definitely uh, definitely kicked around old times, you know, and high fives. Also, and I'm, I am literally wearing this hat, by the way. Um, it's uh, I'm wearing the Astros hat from the uh, Killer Bees days, right? Like the mid '90s, and I wore this out. I and it's you know I'm a big baseball fan, but I haven't really been paying as close attention because you know I've been adulting for the last few years and things like that. Um, but so I can't I can't you know. I can't like name the slugging percentage of the left fielder, right, or anything like that. I used to used to be like that kind of baseball nerd where I knew every single bit about it, like close to your the what's the other podcast? The throwing junk, throwing junk. Yeah, like I'm sure we could could have long conversations oh, about for sure. OPS yeah. and all kinds of stuff. But I haven't really done that stuff in a while. I've been kind of had you know other stuff has been occupying my brain. I've I've used the mental RAM for other things. Um, but apparently, this hat, this '90s hat, is not you can't get it anymore. I didn't know that. I, I hadn't been wearing this hat, but I know immediately, like, even before the game was over, but everybody knew we were going to win. People were already lining up outside of, uh, outside bars. of no, not bars, outside of academy to get the world championship baseball caps, and those lines were circling blocks. Whoa. Uh, there were not riots, but there were definitely incidents <laughs> of people trying to get these new hats and jerseys. That were released immediately uh, after the the game officially was won, and a lot of these stores were open twenty four hours, both here and LA, in anticipation of whoever won the game. You know, back in were you all here in ninety four when the Rockets won? Yes. Yeah. Do you do you remember the pandemonium after the Rockets won? Yeah, especially after the second one. Yeah. After I, the second one, we could not stop losing our fucking minds. It was crazy. There was a traffic. I, I so I grew up in Fondren Southwest. And I remember like leaving the neighborhood and like the first main street you could get on, bam, traffic jam. And I was like, whoa, 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 it's nighttime. Like it's late at night here. There's no, you know, like evacuation or something in the city. It was like, bam, 
traffic jam immediately and everybody was just like really really happy and we got like a little bit of that energy back with this thing i was really excited about it because we there was the feeder was backed up when we were headed out like to go <laughs> celebrate with people and i remember just like leaning my head out the window and being like let's go astros and like all the way down the feeder you just heard this like <laughs> right so it was, it was good times i mean yeah. people people yeah. needed this people i think needed a moment some people were very cynical about the whole thing but i, I i'm not the biggest baseball fan but I, you know, it was a good feeling. It was a good feeling to look out and see people yelling with each other instead of just at each other. It was, it was nice. It was yeah. great. So, yeah. yeah. So, we carried this spirit into election. Did we? That Did that happen? I don't know. Something like that. Uh, we, I think, I think you know, we had 2% turnout in early voting or a little bit less. And then what we wound up around where? 6%, 6.7? Is that it? Yeah. So, there's like 2 million registered voters in uh, Harris County, and yeah, 6.7% or 150,000 voted, and unlike other elections, this was one where maybe your vote would have counted way more than in a midterm or or a presidential race. Yeah, that blows my mind. A lot of people didn't know or care that they they could vote, and I said, you would you should care a lot more about this one. Because this one determines how much money your taxes are going to be in the next few years and where your tax money is going. And it was just this blank expression of just like, hmm. It, it really, there really is, um, as much as we try, you know, try to get the word out there, I think there is this kind of disconnect when it's not a really big, powerful seat that maybe you've heard of over and over again in the movies, right? Like, you know, like... The governor of Texas is a, char- a character in Best Little Whorehouse, so it's like you know what I mean. Like it's this uh, this seat, you you know, governor, mayor, those things you know of. But we need to do board. a musical about budgetary responsibility, <laughs> <laughs> like budget responsibility. That's the only way we can talk about it. Dun, dun. Yeah, uh, fiscal reports. Money. Yeah. So I got a musical. You see, it's about the uh, community college trustee board election. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so it's. Yeah, it's a little disheartening, but you know there was there were there was uh, in New Jersey we also saw historically low turnout, so it's not not distinct to Harris County where we didn't have a top of the ticket. Or it's all across the country, except Annual for Virginia. Voter apathy, except for Virginia. Yeah, where where turnout was exceptionally high. Huh. It's, What's happening in Virginia? A lot of things. I think people in the northern Virginia suburbs are really pissed off. You know, I think a lot of those folks work in and around DC and they have just been their transplants and they but now they've been in Virginia long enough to be kind of like Houston, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they were they were pissed. There is a, a going saying that if the turnout is low, the morale is high. Mm. Um, the e- people vote when they're angry and they want change. But if people want status quo, they just kind of go with it. So that might be... I, and that strikes me as so strange. Because I don't know if that can apply here because we just went through a hurricane and we're still feeling the ramifications. And you think somebody would say, hey, I'm going to vote if, if only to say F you to something. Well, the election, I guess a presidential election, you had a little lower turnout over apathy. I guess it could cut either way. It's... But, but you bring up a good point, right? Anger, nothing like getting somebody mad to get them to go and actually do something. It's just tapping into that anger and then giving them a feeling of hope like it's actually going to do something. Well, and that's why, speaking of anger, I mean, Democrats are freaking angry about, um, what's his name, uh, Trump. 
And uh, <laughs> that's why we can look at like over the last couple of years, um, I think in uh, for the HISD nine district board uh, and the and the H HCC boards, we had um, with this election three seats. This election and last year's election, three seats that were held by Republican men now being held by Democrat women, which is huge. Even though it's a local race or local races, it's, you know, you feel good about about hearing that kind of uh, change. There are going to be strong women running for office, particularly Democratic candidates, I think, for a while. And I think it's a good trend. I'd like to see... Really? Do you think it's a good trend? I do think it's a good trend. <laughs> I do. I, th- I, think th- I think, look, it, look, 18 to 36-year-old men like are not as civically active as they should be. And meanwhile, like moms have been doing all the grunt work in civic activity, like anywhere that you look, it doesn't matter, social work, teaching, like making the actual phone calls to Congress. And so it's about time that maybe those 18 to 36-year-old dudes did some of that, and maybe some of these women could move up and into office. It is a little shocking. I remember when I first started uh, going into politics and realizing the majority of people who were volunteering and that were the 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 power, the, the machine behind the political figure were mostly women. And, and I kept wondering, it's like, why aren't there more leaders coming out of this machine? Absolutely. Is it because they have all the skills, but I guess it's, it's starting to happen. Um, because it's been what, like 20 years since, since the Clinton administration. I and mean, there's a long, it's been a long time of two, what two generations of, of women just kind of showing each other how, how to get through this, through all the political work and all the bureaucracy before you get your foot in the front of the door. So yeah, it looks like it's starting to pay off. So we'll see. I mean, it, what we're 4% of, <laughs> of all political office. So, I, woo! I, you know, I looked up yesterday, there are 21 women in the Senate, which is, a, it's abysmally low. <laughs> it's it's much lower than it should be. The U.S. Senate and the U.S. Senate sleepovers wow. and tampons for everybody. It's oh. a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Um, there there were six uh, women of color elected to Boston City Council yesterday. That was historic. There were four before, so now there are six um, yesterday. So go Boston. Go Boston. Yeah. We're seeing that happen across uh, across the country. We're seeing change. As for the local races, we know that there were seven amendments uh, on the ballot for the Texas State Constitution. And if you followed episode four of 610 News, then you got all of our takes on that in about 48 minutes. All seven of them passed. All seven. I feel insulted. I feel insulted, Because we too. spent so much time discussing every <laughs> single one of them, and I felt if more people listened to our show, we clearly could have had some of them killed. And and it was a landslide. Oh, yeah. Was it 70% most of them? Most of them up there, yeah, at least 65. Very permissive our voters are when it comes to constitutional amendments. Yeah, sure. Almost liberal. <laughs> <laughs> In the classical sense of oh, the word. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, just kind of a do whatever you want, government. Yeah. Have your way with the people. <laughs> you are terrible. Yeah, a total so. of $1.5 billion Ugh. worth of uh, bonds have passed for the city. Um, yeah. And that was for like library, police department, fire department. Some whatever. vaguely worded bank yeah. 
pension yeah. debt. Pension and all the sorts of stuff. And of course, Darrell, I guess he covered a lot of that in episode three as well in terms of the bonds. He did. If you go to his Facebook, you would see a huge breakdown of how angry he is about <laughs> some of these results. But uh, I think he made some valid points. If you were here, Darrell, we'd be able to to ask you about it but you're not here today so boo yeah in fact we want to keep this in the cut and we want everyone to know that Darrell didn't make it to this week's uh, recording session of 610 News I don't even remember what he looks like anymore shame <laughs> shame it's been so long it's so Come faded from our memory. worth mentioning of course that the Heights neighborhood had a 22% voter turnout which was more than three times higher than the rest of the city and decided that they would no longer be a dry area that they would indeed sell booze yeah. I wonder if that'll affect their voter turnout next election Maybe everybody will be drunk and nobody will show up to the polls. <laughs> we never should have repealed. Uh, yeah, I, I, they've never been. They've never been a non-dry area of, of before. Mm. This is the first time that they'll have access to alcohol instead of going the six blocks <laughs> on site to, to buy beer. But. Um, yeah, that was a shock when I, I moved to the Heights when I was in my early 20s, and I remember going to a corner store and trying to get some beer and just being in, incredibly insulted that they wouldn't they didn't even have any. I was like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, this is Houston. What, where, what day is this? Like, and they said, you need to soberly stumble to the Washington <laughs> Strip. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's expected to have a huge impact on their... Um, on their culture scene, they've already have quite a few music venues and uh, art galleries and, and shopping centers, but we're they should be expected to see the opening of bars as soon as January. So it's going to be exciting. We should record an episode in one of those bars. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We should historically get drunk there. <laughs> That's right. Day one. <laughs> we are the sex that knows. We are political. Champions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, HCC and HISD races. We spoke a lot about the HISD races in the past. We said very little about the HCC races, but why not? Uh, why not say it now? Um, the uh, there is what? There's one HCC runoff. There's one HCC runoff. There's two HISD runoffs. Uh, so if you're in the neighborhoods of Central Southwest, Westbury, NRG Stadium, Garden Oaks, the Heights, Gulfgate, or the Greater East End, you will uh, you are cordially invited to vote in the runoff election, which is on December 9th. That's right. It is on December 9th. And in fact, double, triple, quadruple mark your calendars because HIST districts 1 and 3 are up. And what HCC? HCC 9. HCC 9 is up. I guess, and it says here, uh, Central Southwest, Westbury, and Energy Stadium for HCC 9. Uh, And HISD 1 is Garden Oaks in the Heights, and HISD 3 is Gulfgate, Greater East End. That is a very interesting race and a very interesting district. Um, I, this should surprise no one, because I'm in the block walking pictures, but I actually went out to block walk for Elizabeth Santos in District 1. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I wear it on my sleeve. But that was uh, that was someone who I, I really identify with and like very much as a candidate. She would be one. She's of, the teacher, right? She's a teacher, yeah. and um, she's from the neighborhood. She grew up in the neighborhood, and she went to school in the neighborhood. She is a graduate and product of the area, um, and I have a lot of respect for her and for her campaign. Um, she also is not taking any money from vendors. But enough of me just like talking about why I like Elizabeth Santos. The reason I bring her up is. In block walking, I came across some interesting doors. And one of the ones that I came across 
the guy said, I don't vote anymore. And we said, really? He said, yeah, I don't vote after December because, or I don't vote after November because Trump rigged the election. He bought that election. Voting doesn't matter anymore. I'll no longer vote. And this is like, he has voted in Democratic primaries forever. Like, this is somebody who's a prime, like, bankable primary voter. And he just wouldn't even vote for HISD school board. He's like, he's done with it. He's done with voting. It sounds kind of like an enlightened position. You know, he's given it a good go after many years. And, uh. He's transcended politics. Yeah, right. You know, Jim Hightower used to say, go in there and write Snoopy on the ballot. Don't let the bastards run, at, run you out of the ballot box, is the way he put it. Um, but I just, I figure, no, I, this is a very Charlie Brown <laughs> line in the dirt after Lucy picked the football up. Um, I, yeah, I don't feel Zen from this guy. I just see Charlie Brown just like holding his hands to his tiny little chest oh just lying there <laughs> good grief good grief well in this race i thought it was interesting that the uh even though both what's her name elizabeth santos and the runner-up gretchen himsel they're gonna go into a runoff um i thought it was interesting that she only got first place by 900 votes what was the percentage rank on that uh, can you clarify the question? So Elizabeth got, what, 45% of the vote or something like that? Yeah, she got almost 45%. Gretchen Himsel, who's like a conservatively backed public policy person, got 34% of the vote. And then the token Democrat ended up losing the race with 21%. So um, so that's so 900 votes make up 8% nice. or so. So that's, I mean, that tells you how much power, power there is in a vote. I mean, that's that's fairly high amount of power for one vote. Go vote. Go vote. <laughs> Go to the polls on December 9th. It is a little shocking to realize that the faith, the fate of um, millions of people rest on maybe a couple hundred thousand. It really is. It's yeah. It's just, you know, a couple of high schools slap together and they're like, yeah, you get to tell us what we do. Democracy. Right. Yeah. In action. Well, then we've got District 3, uh, which is also another runoff by only 200 votes. Wow. With um, I don't really know much about these candidates. Jesse Rodriguez and Sergio Lira, who's a assistant principal at Bel Air High School. We'll do some research on the on these runoff candidates more as uh, we get closer to December. Oh, yeah, I thought we, we were done talking about election crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's the election that never runs. There's be a, a runoff for a runoff in, in <laughs> January. There, yeah, there's a uh, so that race for what it's worth, uh, yeah, that that's that was one of the ones uh, one of the candidates in there was 21 years old. He was uh, had a deal worked out with his university where he was going to come back every week, every other week for 4 to 5 days. Uh, not only for the campaign, but also to be a trustee. Uh, it looks like he came in with about, uh, let's see here, twelve uh, percent of the vote. What's he came in fourth place. His name is uh, Carlos Perret. He actually got oh. the Houston GLBT caucus endorsement and the Harris County Republican Party endorsement. You know, I asked him about that. I was curious about it, so oh. I asked him directly about it. He said I wasn't vetted. They didn't call me. They didn't tell me why. 
they did it. They just picked me. His yeah. reputation precedes him. I think they just started laughing maniacally <laughs> when they chose him. <laughs> you never know. Hey, look, you know, Dan Patrick literally came down here to campaign for John Lumen, who was Ann Sung's opponent, and and uh, Ann beat him by 20 percentage points, mm. which was good for how many votes? <laughs> That's like, Twelve two, votes. like 12 votes. <laughs> 2,000 no, she, votes. So she... She ran for the seat last year against the same person, and she won by, I think, under 40 votes. And then this time around, she won by, like, 2,000. So that's either the Trump effect, because she is, you know, a a progressive Democratic lady, and her competition is some lobbyist, probably conservative dude. I don't know. I mean, Dan Patrick's stumped for him. Okay. It's got to be a... Yeah. yeah. Um, But this time, she won by 2,000 votes. So... Uh, it's uh, yeah, it pays to be an incumbent, it yeah, does. It does. <laughs> People recognize that name, they're like, Yeah, the buildings, the city's not burned down, so I guess they're doing something right. <laughs> this works, I'm for this. Um, yeah, <laughs> I thought Democracy. it was interesting that because I looked to the Houston Chronicle a lot to see who they were endorsing, they you know did all the legwork for 610 News, and we can jump in and. <laughs> <laughs> criticize yeah. them wildly That's they great. endorsed six out of nine total uh, races they endorsed six winning candidates one of the candidates is going to go into a runoff election and they endorsed two losers so if you're going to vote without being informed um the houston chronicle is more or less a safe bet based on their endorsements <laughs> if you want the, your vote to be for a winner in spite of how good or terrible yeah. they might be <laughs> then you, you have a good chance <laughs> with the chronicle so uh speaking of uh, uh newspapers that may or may not do the right thing uh rest in pre- peace houston press uh the first paper i ever looked to um to learn what bands were playing at Fitzgerald's and other establishments. Oh, I thought you were going to say something ago. about the back pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was like that's where I learned about being a lady. Once <laughs> once you start seeing, you know, naked ladies in penis pills, you know that you've moved past the music section of the Houston Press. <laughs> that always stunned me about the Houston Press uh just um all these articles on human trafficking and then you'd look on the back pages and then you'd think, "Huh." I wonder if there's a connection and then try well, not to uh, think about it too hard. And then you just start flipping those pages because you want to know you want to go to Fitz. I, I wonder if there's a connection with them closing down their print operations and their decision to not accept those ads anymore. Those human trafficking it's that, ads. When did they stop accepting those ads? I think a few years ago. Really? Yeah. Uh, so the first line of the Houston Press article uh, that they titled, The Press is a Stop, But the Press Lives On, where they announced that they're no longer going to be printing their uh, printing. Uh, the first paragraph says, print is dead, long live digital. Long live the Houston Press in dot-com form. So... In it, they described that uh, Harvey, the effects of Harvey, had drastically impacted restaurants, cafes, places where people would go to pick up the Houston Press. A lot of these... Um, and all of their advertisers. Yeah, and all of their al- advertisers were severely crippled by their hurricanes. So they were losing not only distribution, but they were also losing advertising. And that's a big hit to blow. And, and it's no secret that print is now very difficult to have successfully 
Um, I wonder if this is completely true. I didn't know that they stopped using um, they stopped using those massage, quote unquote massage ads in the back. Uh, but that used to make me very uncomfortable because a lot of these you you don't know who these people are or what the conditions of their their working conditions are. So um, I used to kind of be weirded out by the Houston Press. Uh, I did hear a couple of times that they were getting better about those kinds of ads and they were doing a lot more vetting, which made me a lot more comfortable picking it up. Uh, I didn't know they could stop completely, though. Um, this is also kind of sad on a personal note because Mockingbird was going to be published in the Houston Press. Oh, yeah, they were going to do a story. <laughs> they were going to do a story <laughs> on us. They still have the digital, though, right? Uh, who, uh, I I'm guess, just yeah, saying, they like, still have the digital. I'm just yeah. saying, like, I'm not going to be... what it, I can print it out, but it's not the same feeling as seeing my name in print. You want That's that true. rough, inky, black yeah. and gray something, smudge on your hands. Exactly. Something I can take to Michael's and be like, bam, there. <laughs> Frame that so I can prove to my parents I'm doing something with my life. <laughs> well, is, is Free Press Houston still in uh, black, the old black and gray? Uh, Free Press, yes. Free Press is still active. Are so they printing? I haven't really seen any print issues anywhere. Just in Montrose and a couple of little uh, areas. It's a very limited. But you have seen like yeah, print. Okay. I've seen it out in the wild. For huh. for what it's worth, I picked up a Houston Press. Uh, you know, I was like out having a meal with my wife and like we saw when I picked one up and it was the best because it was the best of Houston awards mm-hmm. and so you know you look through it to like and sometimes they're sometimes they're nonsense right where they have like best tacos and it's like some you know it's like old tempo <laughs> tacos a go-go what? <laughs> and, and, and but some of it's worth it you know maybe you haven't heard tacos of a place tierra so. caliente <laughs> the taco truck <laughs> so. I'm not saying well I should say I love tacos a go-go but y'all ain't Mexican burn burn I'm Mexican caliente. Okay. <laughs> Abina is not Mexican. <laughs> My pronunciation is. Um, so Houston Press. <laughs> I, I'm glad that they're pivoting. It's like uh, they probably should have done it a while ago. Why would you have a downtown office in a skyscraper building? Well, there are rumors that the Village Voice is because. I will say it's very upsetting how they shuttered their 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 print version because a lot of writers who were on staff full time just found their doors were closed. Mm. They had no notice. Uh-oh. They had no warning. They just showed up and their job was gone. You know, it's a bit That's like awful. it's history repeating itself. Years and years ago, the old Houston Post. You know, years ago, oh, like yeah. it's it, closed in '96, wasn't it? Yeah, it closed in '96 and. Uh, a lot. So I used to work at the Green Sheet. Little known fact: I was their corporate lead writer for uh, for a year. The Green Sheet brings you by. Yeah, that's the most successful bit of advertising they ever did over there. <laughs> and they uh, was that your idea? That was yes. When I was twelve years old, I <laughs> brilliant. No, that, just brilliant. So so you know, but I saw you know it, there there's definitely a lot of struggle in print. But a lot of the people who came over from the Green Sheet came from the Houston Post, like a long time before that. And uh, the story with that was basically Hearst came in because the Chronicle bought them out. And Hearst came in and uh, told them, you got 15 minutes to get all your stuff and get out of here. 
Jesus. That's bullshit. Yeah, it seemed like a really shitty way to treat people, particularly yeah. people who are I'm, defending I'm, the public good. I'm very concerned with what's going to happen with the Houston Press writers because the, the writers who were on full-time are now contract, and the people who are on contract are non-existent. I mean, they're just, they're gone. And it's such a shame because you, we need... We need newspapers. We just do. And whether or not like you're a fan of the Houston Press or the Houston Chronicle, they, we need something tangible because the thing about having everything digital, that if something should happen to the website or something, or if somebody wants to edit it, there is no back record for it. There's no printed version to show that this information has been edited, that it's been messed with, that it's been redacted without the public's knowledge, without any reference in the future, without any citation, you can just do this. And that's frightening to me that we have that we're losing more and more archival proof of events that are going on in, in Houston and in the world. We can't have a system that's solely digital because it, if that's just and this is the most paranoid part of me talking, but I feel that it's it's true. A very 1984 way of living the world where one side is constantly deleting and rewriting one truth and the other side is constantly deleting and rewriting another truth. And they're constantly in battle because there's no, there's nothing to have a concrete uh, foundation anymore. And that's, it's very upsetting. The other thing with Houston Press, for what it's worth, and I don't, there's another sort of relic that they've been good at in the past, which is investigative news. Uh, I wonder if this move is going to affect that or not. I mean, investigative journalism has not been super profitable. KHOU did some of the best piece, one of the best pieces of investigative journalism I've ever seen in the last couple of years, which was um, on body cam transparency, where they actually held the city's feet to the fire and said, you know, what's going on with the body cam program. If, um, if you want to see, if you want to get like the lowdown on what happened with that program in the city of Houston, it's like a half hour worth of videos and some writing as well. And you can find it really easily. Like if you Google KHOU body cam transparency and all that. But in the, at the end of the day, the city of Houston has not fixed the body cam program. And that was not a profitable story, I bet. I can't imagine that that story was profitable. So I, I agree with you, not only because like we need a record, but also because investigation and journalism and a free and independent press that's actually doing you know work for the public good, to me, is essential to a functioning democracy. And we're having a bit of a democracy crisis at the moment. A dark cloud settles over Houston <laughs> and the state of Texas. And Fresh only one man can save it or one woman somebody who doesn't exist but might be <laughs> a nominee for the governor of texas so in out of the frying pan and into the fire we are not even done with the 2017 elections and uh people are talking about the 2018 elections which are the primaries for a lot of statewide races um one of the ones you might have heard about is is uh, for senate ted cruz and beto o'rourke uh, but the one that I'm interested in is governor. Of course, we've got Greg Abbott, who is our current um, <clears throat> honorable governor in office right now. Uh, there's a guy that's going to challenge him in the Republican primaries. His name is Larry Seceed Kilgore. Wait. Larry Seceed <laughs> wait, 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 Kilgore. Wait one minute. What's his middle name? His middle name is Seceed. Like... 
Secede. To secede from exactly. a nation. The verb. A- so he's coming at Abbott from the right. Is his slogan, damn, son? <laughs> Because that's what Let's I get think him on of. The show. I know. <laughs> also, he's got a great last name. I'm just gonna say that. Kilgore. Kilgore is a great last name. It's one of my <laughs> so one time, have you seen? If you heard of, you know, uh, Thirty Foot Fall, the, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 I, I saw a band once at the Oven, which was this place that used to be. It's what Mangoes used to be, like mm-hmm. many, many years ago, and they were like. I was like, who's playing tonight? And they're like, Kilgore South in the Acme 143s. <laughs> and it turned out to be 30 Foot Fall under this weird name. So apparently Kilgore is a weird name that people use to uh, play as a band and run for office. Good. Huh. One of the people that uh, is considering running for governor is a band member, musician. His name is Thor Harris. Thor. What? His name this is Thor is Harris. Greatest. If you Google him, he's the, he's the front man for Thor and Friends. <laughs> A former member of Swans and Shearwater, which I've never heard of, but buddy of mine who has musical roots in Austin. Hey, Troy, if you're listening. The poor man's version um, of Superman in France. <laughs> he got famous on the internet for putting a video on Twitter titled How to Punch a Nazi. <laughs> Sounds viable. And then he got kicked off of Twitter. Uh, when he was asked, you know, are you really going to run for governor? His answer was, why the fuck not? <laughs> But he's got coverage from like Pitchfork, you know, all these music sites that are reviewing albums. I just looked up a photo of Thor Harris. He looks exactly how you picture he looks like. <laughs> so he's like, how long uh, is his hair? Oh, soups long. He's like a kinky Friedman throwback meets like a black metal band, yeah. like yeah. a like metalocalypse. My favorite <laughs> is that he's wearing pearl clip a pearl clip clip shirt, uh, but with the sleeves cut off. Because you know he's here to rock. Uh. (laughs) With a little bit of business. Um, There's so many people on the Democrat side that are thinking about running. We've got the Dallas County Sheriff. uh, Her name is Lupe Valdez. I believe she's a lesbian Hispanic lady. And she's the only Hispanic female sheriff in the entire country. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we've got someone from Houston, the son of the late Texas governor, Mark White. I don't know when Mark White was governor, but this guy's name is Andrew White, and he's an investor, probably has a lot of money, um, business-friendly, democratic, moderate. For what it's worth, he was the 43rd <coughs> governor of Texas from 1983 to 1987. Mm. The 80s. Hey, I was born in 1987. Okay, hush. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna make our listeners feel. Were bad. we were we all born when Mark White was governor? Was that it? Do you remember Mark White? Twinsies. <laughs> when I came out of my. Okay, never mind. Uh, Easy big fella. <laughs> got Michael Sorrell. He hasn't really said whether or not he wants to run, but he's the president of Paul Quinn College in Dallas. And uh, I saw that he turned their football field into an urban farm. Cool. Yeah. Um, then there's a couple other people. But really, the person I'm most interested... Wait, wait, wait. Don't wait, escape wait, wait. past the other people. Yeah. All right. We okay. got Jeffrey Payne, declared a Texas entrepreneur field and owner... And owner of the Dallas Eagle, a popular gay bar. And he was named Mr. Leather, the international Mr. Leather. Whoa. In, in 2009. 2009. Whoa. So he's got my vote. Already. He's got international acclaim. Yeah. I'll give him that. Yeah. he's uh, He's got a lot of uh, diplomatic 
experience. So. He's got a good brand. <laughs> who else we got on here? There's an Air Force vet uh, who runs a hospice, and uh, I believe he's in Austin. He ran against my former congressman, Congressman Lamar Smith. Tom Wakely. Tom uh, Wakely. This, this guy's a kind of a favorite of the R Revolution crowd. Which is, What's the R Revolution? Uh, R Revolution is Bernie Sanders' uh, like group or packer. I, I don't want to say pack because I don't know. I can't confirm that off the top of my head. But it's like it's a it's a group that that Bernie sort of kicked off. Okay, so he's so, a Bernie baby boy. I think he's a big fan of the burn. We've got Cedric Davis, who's the former mayor of Balch Springs, funny sounding city name. Also it's a Dallas another suburb. Mr. International. I was stupid, proud of that joke, sorry. <laughs> um, and then someone named Gary Brown. Is that he, guy the real estate guy? Oh, he sounds is, so boring. Is, is he the one? I probably am going to vote for Gary Brown just because he sounds so boring, he's immediately safe. I he's, mean, he's not as exciting as Gary no, Monroe. But I, I want somebody <laughs> boring. I want somebody boring because boring people make sane decisions. Yes. What about this guy? Did we mention Joe Mumbach? Who is this guy? I saw that he's a Houston electronics businessman. I don't know what that is, but he's a uh, actively involved with the Sharpstown Democrats Club. Um, okay. He was an officer with that club. And, okay. Uh, it's kind of... I, I went to the Harris County Democratic Party headquarters today for a talk on the election results, and... You know, at the end, they were like, okay, we'll take some questions now. So my question was, who can the the uh, Texas State Democratic Party kind of rally behind? And, you know, nobody, nobody really knows. Nobody's kind of galvanizing. But there is an energy. There is an energy that people are pissed. They're ready to show it at the ballot box. And, you know, all it takes is one person running for governor to kind of tap into that do you think abbott is nervous for this election um i i don't know i'll have to ask him (laughs) you're right (laughs) probably not he's a republican with a ton of money i think he's sitting pretty unless someone can unify unless somebody's got that je ne sais quoi that gravitas special you know someone that you can look up to that is involved with uh meeting with you know state uh U.S. senators from Texas. And just working all the time, nonstop. <laughs> He's got to be just, I don't know, like well-spoken, like well-written. Yeah. Maybe a he, maybe Mark a she. Mark Cuban. Maybe a he, maybe a she. Oh, wait, sorry, what? <laughs> um, I was going to say Mark Cuban, but Mark Cuban doesn't have a giant inflatable Trump chicken that's oh. true. that he parades around on, on the back of that's, a truck. If only we knew such a man. If only we knew someone who had all of those things and was sitting right next to me. And civic pride and all whoa, sorts whoa, whoa, of other... Whoa. Lady <laughs> and gentle man. <laughs> Thank you. Hold your hosses for a second, okay? Uh, there's. It would be nice if we had like an, an actual nominee against Greg Abbott. Maybe somebody who had, I don't know, like... A day or two of legislative experience. <laughs> what would helpful. that? What would that give them, though? You that know? would that would give them a uh, this thing called a track record. That would help. Mm. Do you think voters really care about a track record? I don't know if voters care about a track. I do. I'm a voter. I care about somebody being able okay. to say what they did before <laughs> they run for office. Let's not use anecdotal <laughs> uh, 
evidence to <laughs> I, paint broad I scientifically represent thousands of people, okay? <laughs> Obviously. And I want you to formally represent millions of people in the uh, Brown House? Is that what they call the governor's mansion? I don't know. What am I running on the 610 News Party ticket? Ooh, wow. You'll get dozens of votes. <laughs> dozens. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you want to help us grow as a show, write and re- re- review on us. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to... No, I'm going to leave it in so they know exactly what it's like doing this. That's just normal Write and review. Well, we do need writers, and I heard the Houston Press uh, just had to oh. let go of a few oh, writers. Oh, too so. soon. Not being I know, I'm right? offering a job. Hey, you're offering a pay cut. Yeah, I'm offering a pay cut. <laughs> but you'll have more fun here than you ever did at Houston Press. That's probably, in fact, it is absolutely true. Uh, you're drinking whiskey right now. I of am drinking whiskey. <laughs> of course that's true. But I, I want to, if we can just for like two minutes have this discussion, because when I first met your dad... <laughs> hey, Dad. When I Hi, first Mom met too. your dad, when uh, uh, Congressman O'Rourke came and spoke earlier this year, the first thing your dad said to me in an indirect way was basically that, you know, when are you going to run for office? And I said, I don't know. You're going to have to ask your son that. Um, so I guess it's several months later, but, you know, let's say, let's say you really we're considering running for governor why why wouldn't you want to look what if i were considering but yeah I wouldn't want what are the to? cons are the cons of running for governor yeah uh that you want yeah, it too badly all of them tell right us now. tell you all of them right now <laughs> no i i i don't think that the i, I don't think the governor's ma- you want it here's a here's a great reason for nobody to run for governor of texas okay. for what it's worth by the way the lieutenant governor in Texas has more power. He sets the legislative agenda. Um, that's so. Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick sets the legislative agenda. He can't run for president as easily because nobody knows in, say, you know, Ohio or any other swing state yeah. what the hell the lieutenant governor of Texas does. Sounds do. like but, a vice president. I mean, it, well, but right, it sounds like it. But they really actually set the agenda. The governor has appointment. They're more and like veto the Dick power. Cheney. Yeah, the real president during the Bush years, Dick Cheney. Yeah, exactly. So um, you're like the Palpatine on Star Wars, if you're kind of in versus being the Darth Vader. So, everybody, so. everybody looks at Darth <laughs> Vader, but it's really the Palpatine. That's good. I'm really trying to help our audience understand. <laughs> Dick Cheney, Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> The the puppet master behind the uh, curtains. Yeah, you the call curtains. the shots. You you as lieutenant governor. It's I. That's... So you don't want to run for governor because it's not enough power. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> feed me. <laughs> um, no, I look. I I don't want to run for governor because <laughs> I'm completely unqualified to be governor. But aside from that, so so we're and it hasn't stopped uh, other people who are completely unqualified for governor from running for governor. I really think that the grassroots um, that that the grassroots leadership that we're putting into place here in Houston and Harris County, and um, the power base that's being built and the civic engagement that's being put in place here is a better. Um, it's a it's a more necessary thing to put in order right now. Um, if we don't start winning local seats and start taking over these local um, uh, elections, then we're never going to see the state flip. It's not going to happen. You have to have people who are true blue localites who come together and 
either fight back against policies that are going to be put into place um, and, and defend against those policies at a local level, like Indivisible Houston, shameless plug, or um, you have to have people who are, are encouraging local grassroots candidates. Um, full disclosure, I, I work with Lena Hidalgo, but she's a great example of one, right? Somebody who's from here, who's come back around, who's a millennial, somebody who uh, came here looking for a better life and found it, and wants other people to have the same thing and is running for Harris County judge, someone like Fran Watson, who's running against Joan Huffman, um, any of the any of a number of grassroots candidates are running at a local level. Another good example of that, I mean, this is this is a whisper that people have brought up in the past um, regarding TX07, which is, you know, probably the most flippable congressional district in, in the, the Houston area, right? Um, there are six candidates. There were seven. One drop. There were there there are six candidates running in the Democratic primary so that they can oppose John Culberson. And and plenty of them are viable for other seats. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we have state house races. We have other races that don't have candidates right now. Also, I it's well known that uh, people use Texas governorship um, as a step towards presidency. So people don't go into the governorship. Um, be to be a governor, they go into it as a stepping stone, which means they're not invested in the legacy that they create there. They have this, their eyes on the prize, and this is just kind of a thing they have to do, which is, isn't great. It's not a great mental state to be in when you're taking care of one of the largest economies in the country. Yeah, this is, this is a state the size of France. I mean, you really are. It was an independent country at one point, and it makes sense. You look at it, like, look at the size of this freaking thing. Look how many mm-hmm. freaking people are. I recently found out that the Russian G- GDP is smaller than Texas. That in no way surprises me. Yeah. Like, we're we're massive. We have to come in with that mentality that you're, if you take control of, of Texas, you're taking control of what's economically a country. You have to treat it like one. It's true. There's a precinct chair out in Tarrant County, for what it's worth, who used to be um, a Tea Party member. And he, he crossed over when President Obama was discussing health care and said, uh, you know, basically that, that we should not deny coverage based on pre-existing conditions. Um, and his wife was undergoing some, some things that, uh, that ACA now covers based on that. But he, he did tell us that the way the Tea Party operated is they would go to the county judge level like, you know, Harris County judge, like commissioner's court level in all the counties in Texas and yell at them over whether or not Obama was going to take away their guns. Like they went to the local level with national issues. And I think that you're seeing that in Virginia, you're seeing that in Jersey, you're seeing that across the country as of yesterday. So there's your answer. The local level needs needs pressure, needs power. And so I decline the opportunity to run for governor on the 610 News ticket. Well, if, if I may, a counterpoint, I think... Um so if you're a Republican and you're running for governor, you're pretty much guaranteed victory. You're guaranteed money. You know, we're, we are still, we're, we might be a, um, a, a blue state that's sleeping that hasn't voted. And certainly we, we blew ourselves in Harris County with this last uh, election. We blewed ourselves. But um, if there's going to be a, a Democratic governor, I think they would definitely have to have that kind of local mentality where you're not gunning for the presidency, where you're more like a Mayor Turner and you're in this position of power and you're using it, you, the, the focus of your, or the power of your attention to kind of draw 
um, improve or to to have improvements to the local political infrastructure. So that mentality that you claim to have would be perfect for a, a Democratic <laughs> okay. governor of Texas. I don't know if you could just duplicate that, and you know, it's it, like my localist mentality may or may not. Uh, you know, know what's good for the people of the Rio Grande Valley. It's a, you know, it's they're lovely, lovely folks, and I've been down there a few times, and and you know, like for for you know when I was teaching test prep and things like that. But you bring up a good point because maybe if we can start taking local offices in the state for with you know uh, with strong candidates, maybe if good people step up and start taking these local offices, you will start to see a bench. And you won't see a part one party state anymore. You won't see this monopoly that we've seen because, let's face it, you know, no ideological challenge to power equals a bad system, no matter what it is. Well, all right, I won't uh, bug you anymore. <laughs> if any of our listeners want to run for the Democratic <laughs> or Republican Party's nomination for governor of Texas. The uh, window opens on November 11th and <laughs> ends on December 11th when you have to file your paperwork, which is 5,000 signatures or $4,000. Since Houston Press shuttered its windows, there's a bunch of writers looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some, some rough chuckles out the there. <laughs> <laughs> it is a rough set of chuckles. Um <laughs> rough chuckles. Rough chuckles. Hashtag y'all never heard that. Oh wait, y'all don't. Y'all don't. Y'all never read Aikwood. This has nothing to do with Houston, but if you ever get a chance to, just read through the archives of Aikwood.com. It's one of my favorite web comics of all time. Aikwood. Aikwood. How do you spell it? A C H E W O O D. A C H. It's about a bunch of cats that get drunk with stuffed animals, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, cool. I love it so much. Cute. Moving beyond who's going to run for governor and state level issues in general onto federal level issues, it's worth talking about a story that has had uh, uh, far reaching implications for the state of Texas and the nation as a whole, but particularly Texas as well. Um, there's a, a 10 year old girl with cerebral palsy who was released from an immigration detention facility. She was marked for deportation while she was undergoing surgery in a hospital in San Antonio, uh, last week, uh, Rosa Maria Hernandez. This is a heartbreaking story to begin with. It's very upsetting. It's and shameful. The, and the amount of hypocrisy that's come out from this story is even more shameful. Literally on Twitter, uh, INS p- had a tweet that said, we do not deport people from hospitals. We will never go after children. We'll never do this and that. And immediately, everybody came back and said, you literally just did this. You literally just did this. You took a child who is barely recovering from a gallbladder surgery, who has cerebral palsy. You took her without her parents being there. You didn't let her have Ugh. contact with her with her family. Uh, this 10-year-old girl who has no idea what's going to happen, doesn't know where she's going to live anymore. And then um, now they're just playing catch and release because the story isn't over. It's just on pause because they, they're under public pressure. But by no means is this story over. I no. don't know she'd lived in Texas since she was three months old. So like 99% of her life has been in this state. And she's not she like you said she has cerebral palsy. That's not yeah. What, what if is you're she... talking about someone who's a criminal or whatever? The whole the the reason that we're we're trying to deport more people um, as brought on by our president. She doesn't fit 
that profile. She doesn't fit any profile. Like, what is she, a wrist flight? Yeah. Poor no. girl can barely move. She's sick. No kidding. No, that, that, so John Culberson held a town hall earlier this year, and there was a woman named Claudia Macias, who also has a local show for that matter. And she asked him, she's a constituent of, of TX07, and she asked the congressman, uh, what do you say to people who are worried that they may be deported because they were brought over here as infants and they're still in the country? And he said, well, I wouldn't worry about that because we're mostly targeting dangerous criminals. And I just can't think of how you could represent that as any, like, like really truthfully represented that as anything but a lie at this point. He's either unconsciously ignorant or, yeah, lying. Yeah. I mean, speaking of 1984, that's just, that's like doublespeak right there. We will not target these people. Look who we targeted. Yeah. And also, I just, I wonder what it's like being an officer carrying out these orders. You arrive at the hospital, but you do have something that started in the military where you can object to orders if they they go against moral code. You have to, of course, you know, go to trial and prove it. But I, I don't think there's any judge who would look at this and say, "Well, no, you have to follow the law." I mean, this is this is clearly a child, and when politicians. And people who are supposedly calling the shots for this sort of thing are saying that we're not going to do this. And you receive papers from your sergeant or whoever's in charge of this action to say, yeah, I get, I guess I'll do this. Because we know for a fact that I was just following orders is not an excuse. The same way that we have ignorance of the law is not an excuse, we have the same thing. I'm just following orders is not an excuse. So... I guess we're all on the same page in saying that if you want to call your senators and representatives and tell them not to deport Rosa Maria Hernandez, it might be a good thing for your everyday citizen to do. Nobody who's in the position that Rose is in should be deported. No child who's lived here the majority of the vast majority of her life, no child that's recovering from the hospital, nobody in the hospital, unless they're like clearly a criminal who's had a record of a proven record of committing crimes what what the hell like this is such a waste of money and resources like how do you even i mean they had to take her out with a ambulance do you have any idea how much ambulance rights cost there's a shooting another mass shooting outside of san antonio um there's a specific aspect of this uh that we've, we've kind of we're kind of looking at here it's wor- worth mentioning the uh the Air Force says that the shooter should not have been allowed to buy any guns because he was convicted of domestic violence. So it seems that the Air Force uh, failed in, uh, in vetting this particular person. What was the type of gun that, that he had? There seems to be a, a line going through a lot of these mass shooters. I think it's, a, it's not an AK-47, is it? No. Um, I'll have to look it up. I think he bought three guns, some from... Uh, an academy store and um these are these were all semi-automatic so these were fast moving guns that's how he was able to take out 20 to 26 people yeah he, he hit 50 i mean this was jeez i can't even when so i'm a crime true crime buff I follow, I read on true crimes. I've read up on Ed Kemper. I've read on um, Charles Manson. Well, even though he's not a serial killer. But when you hit more than seven, seven to ten, 
that's when people start to become very frightened of a serial killer because 10 is such a massive number. This person came in and killed 20 in less than 15 minutes. And the, the fact that the news just calls this the latest uh, mass shooting is not only disgusting, it's exhausting. We've only done four. This is our fifth episode. And in that time, there have been two mass shootings. Yeah. And they're this two of the worst. And it was the worst in U.S. history. And then another one that's easily in the top five worst shootings in U.S. Yeah. history. Like well into high 20s. And like I said, that the reason I bring up the true crime thing is because once you go past 10 for a serial killer, it's considered horrific. They're considered prolific killers. Once you go past 10, that's 10. And these people are coming in and they're they're mowing human beings down like nothing, and we treat it like a uh, like a natural disaster, and that's that's frightening. So, Mr. San Antonio here uh, in 2013 was found guilty by a general court martial, I guess, when he was serving in the Air Force, of striking his wife. He choked her, pulled her hair, and kicked her. And he also struck his stepson. So being convicted of this crime usually prohibits you from buying firearms, but the Air Force failed to report this. And um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, what what happened? There's also this, um, this narrative that mass shooting comes out of mental illness. And from what I've seen, I, I don't think that's the case at all. Mass shooting doesn't come out of mental illness. It comes out of rage. It comes out of anger. And it's unchecked. And it's uh, festered. And it's um, it's let to grow and become worse and worse because they don't want to they don't want to admit that their anger is boundless. But it I don't consider it a mental illness. This, these are just rage issues, plain and simple. The majority of the mass shooters you'll find have fetishized violence and uh, fetishized control. And um, constant. they're more than likely lash out to family members. I always look at people who, if you find somebody who's fascinated by arson and fire, you'll find somebody who's... Um, more than likely going to commit sexual crimes of a sexual nature. But if you find somebody who's very violent toward their and physically abusive towards their family members, you're going to find a larger amount of people who um, will commit violent crimes outside of their family. And that's what's so depressing about all of this more that we don't take domestic violence seriously until it affects somebody outside of their family or until it meets such an extreme end like murder i think it, it at some point it's almost like you know people have referred to uh the gun issue they're they're kind of two sides right you know the side the side that's pushed it over and over again as like a rights issue right and then there's the, and that's and the NRA has lost its mind over the last 30 years when it comes to that. And that's kind well, of the that. NRA is making money hand over fist. Right. They have they make huge money off the gun manufacturers. The other side of it, the side that calls for for 
protections and benefits when it comes to, you know, or, or protections, I guess, when it comes to, to guns. The gun safety advocates, if you will, focus on it from a public safety angle. And you can't help but wonder if we don't look at uh, guns one day similarly to how we look at cigarettes, where it's not that, you know, we want to rip the cigarette out of every smoker's mouth. We just want some basic public safety you know, protections on this very dangerous thing. Yeah, there is uh, immediately the narrative that came out from the story that um, the shooter was taken out by a good guy with a gun. Yeah, after he killed 26 people and injured 20 more. Yeah, like the, yes, he may have been stopped, but he was only mildly wounded and apparently he killed himself. Is that correct? That he killed himself in his own car. Um, But he wasn't stopped. And... You know, luckily that person did intervene, but at the same time, he could have easily shot somebody else who was maybe trying to protect themselves. That's the problem. When you have a gun and somebody else has a gun and then somebody else has a gun, who started it? You don't know. Oh, it would have caused widespread panic and chaos if you had crossfire. Oh, absolutely. And that's what happens with the majority of drive-bys. The majority of drive-bys are people who are killed aren't the intended target. They're just caught up in the in the crossfire. And sometimes they shoot back, but for the most part, they're just taken out. I believe in gun control. I don't believe that guns should be made illegal. I believe that if you live in the country and you have limited access to police force, you need a gun to protect yourself. That's fine. That I totally get it. If you own a business and you, you feel you're in a very dangerous neighborhood and the police don't show up anymore because sometimes the police just abandon entire neighborhoods and you need to protect yourself, I get it. But nobody needs to acquire this many guns anymore because it makes it impossible to track. Who knows where this guy bought this gun from? Like even even if they were to the military was able to forward the news that this guy should not have had a gun. There's so many guns out there already that it's easy just to scrape a serial number off one and just buy it off the street. It's not that hard. Or are you going to be paying a premium? Of course you are. But it's not hard to get a gun off the street. And it's right. And there's this narrative that people who propose gun safety measures are, you know, opposed to guns altogether. And it's bullshit with a capital B for the same reason that you just said. I I don't know very many people who are uh, in favor of gun eradication. You just want some basic protections. I absolutely hate gun conventions. They're, they're so, it's so easy to bypass any and all background checks. uh, If you go to a gun convention, because they're only there for three days and then they're out. It needs, it's so easy to just pretend you've already passed all your... If you own one gun, they figure you can buy all guns. It's terrifying. You know, the NRA... I wrote, I wrote a piece about this last year, just for what it's worth earlier this year, but you remember Philando Castile, uh, the concealed carrier in Minnesota, who was uh, shot, and he told the officer very directly when he was pulled over. Yeah. You know, he said, I'm, I have a concealed... He said, do you have any weapons in the car? He said, I have a concealed license. And he was reaching to get his concealed carry license out of his pocket, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. It is following the law like to the letter, exactly what the cop wanted. And um, he emptied his barrel into him. His girlfriend was in the car. His girlfriend's child was in the car. She live streamed the whole thing. She did. And on top of that, what really stood out to me was the NRA was dead silent. When a concealed carrier was shot by the cops when he shouldn't have been shot, the NRA was dead silent. But What was his ethnicity? 
He was, oh, was African-American. Yeah, of course And a was. few weeks later, they came out, or if that, shortly after that, they came out with an ad that painted the left as dangerous criminals, painted protesters specifically as dangerous criminals. So I guess if you're using the First Amendment, but you're a little bit shaky on some people's interpretation of the Second Amendment, then you've turned into a dangerous criminal, and the NRA doesn't have to stand up for concealed carriers, depending on their race, of course. I, I just wish that people who... If you're not a corporation and you are g- donating to the NRA know that you're just throwing a penny on top of a hundred dollar bill. Like you matter so little. You're their political fan base, but you're not their political power. They have so much money to give to lobbyists. They have so much power to lord over any politician that comes across them. And that's why we have no gun regulations. I mean, if, if you need proof that there's something seriously wrong and that politicians don't give a shit anymore that they're not actively not doing anything because they're under so much control of the nra just know that you can't carry a gun into congress you can't carry a gun into any political building but you can carry a gun into denny's at three in the morning it's like we need to make a decision and this we've been having this conversation over and over again and I'll be honest since Sandy Hook I figured when Sandy Hook fig- happened I just thought if this doesn't change anything nothing ever will because if children are the co- considered collateral damage we have failed utterly in what we think we can do for gun control and i and i feel that it still holds true because we've had so many shootings that i can't i can't even keep count anymore it's true we've discussed the horrors of mass shootings so now let's move on to something else that's particularly (laughs) texan football uh, for those who follow football, and in Texas, uh, I mentioned this earlier, it's practically through osmosis that you follow football. You may have heard that while the Texans' season was shot, thanks to the fact that uh, they had a couple of players injured, uh, they did have this new kind of shining quarterback who was performing really well named Deshaun Watson, but the poor guy tore his ACL. Jeez. Horrific injury. So the question... Uh, you know, that, that then does beg the question, what quarterback who's been effective in the NFL in the past might be available for the Texans to sign? And there's this guy whose name rhymes with Mollen Bappernick. <laughs> you tried. I'll give you that. You tried. <laughs> he may or may not have kneeled during the national anthem and lost his job and been essentially blackballed from all NFL football teams. And why is this relevant? Because the Texans are looking for a new quarterback and have not really discussed Colin Kaepernick. They did bring in a guy uh, who completed eight passes in 2016. If you don't know anything about football, eight is a small number of passes to complete over the course of a season. Uh, He had some connection to the coach, and he was cut a few days later without actually seeing a game because he was really, really bad in practice reps. The guy that started last weekend did really, really poorly in the game. They lost to a really shitty team, and they still have not signed Colin Kaepernick. Um, It doesn't look like the Texans are going to wind up signing him, Uh, and it sounds like since there are so many different players injured that they may not have that good a season one way or another. But it does speak volumes, particularly in this environment, that they're not willing to give him a shot. 
Well, who's who's considering him? The the owner, the Texans owner, or Colin Kaepernick? Yeah, no one. No one's considering him for the Texans. Not openly, at least. I mean, Colin Kaepernick has been essentially blackballed from the NFL because he kneeled during the national anthem. Then what story are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the fact that the Texans, not, well, not every they team. They need a quarterback. They need a quarterback. A that's that's available. that's the okay. story. Is that they need We're one. putting two and two together. There you go. <laughs> and for our audience who is not a football. We're not even the first to do it. <laughs> well, the, the reason I was asking is because the owner, I'm seeing Bob McNair in October, October said that we can't have the inmates running the prison, referring to prison being football, inmates being uh, football players, and I'm guessing Bob McNair is the warden. I uh, I don't know about this. I've, I can understand why people... Like, this is not the best saying to say because it is the worst saying to say when it comes to the NFL, considering the majority of their base, uh, their football players are, are black. Um, but that being said, it, it's a common saying. It's, it is a saying. I've never heard it before. You've never in heard, my whole I've life, heard this. And I'm 60 s- years old. <laughs> you know, they, they say the, you can't have the inmates running this or you can't, yeah, you can't have the inmates running the asylum. The other one is you can't let the monkeys run the monkey house. You can't which let he babies like, run He, he the, might as well uh, blow his daycare. brains out if he said that. <laughs> it just, I, I don't know if. I don't know if he he had any racist intention about it. I think what he meant it, to say was that he he you can't have the employees running the the business. Yeah, that's what he was trying to say. I I think he he picked, he picked a horrible way to put it, <laughs> but I don't think he was being purposely racist. I think he he just he just picked a bad pony to back when when he tried to. Uh, Defend himself, ironically. Well, but it, what what was he referencing when he said that? That's a good question. I Maybe feel he like was that's... referencing the inmates who donated, you know, <laughs> thousands and thousands of their own money to Harvey relief victims. That's what he was referring <laughs> State to. State inmates. <laughs> Did, didn't he? Wasn't he? Um, yes. Yeah, so the comment came out after more and more of players were kneeling down and encouraging other players to kneel down. Okay. So he's on the wrong side of the issue anyway. Uh, absolutely. Like this guy, I should be very clear. This guy is not winning any points with me. <laughs> like he is not having a good day by me at any, on any marker. Um, I don't think he was purposely being racist when he made the statement, but that being said, I fully think this guy's an asshole. Like, and the fact that uh, Kaepernick is being blackballed, obviously, and they can pretend all they want because they haven't officially announced that he's blackballed. But Was that a race pun? What? Blackballed? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Please don't. Please don't blacklist me. <laughs> <laughs> I really like doing this show. Come on. Uh, no. I'm just kidding. They I'm don't, just messing with you. They, uh, they haven't... Uh, they haven't announced that he's not allowed to play in the NFL, but it's clearly what's happening. And it, I, I have, to, of course, I fully admit I'm not the biggest football fan, but he's a, apparently a decent player, right? Like he is. Oh, I mean, he's a yeah. He he has talent. He has more talent than look. He has more talent than the guy who completed eight passes in 2016 and had practices that were so bad that they cut him before he saw a game. Oh, that. That's true. <laughs> I feel I feel a little can bad. You, for yeah, that I guy. know. Like, can you imagine watching your dream die at that close to the dream being fulfilled? It's, That's 
That's yeah. sad. That's it, some sadness. It's a shame. Let's move on to a couple of happy stories before we close this out, if we can. Just just briefly, if we may. Um, Please. Yesterday, uh, there, as part of the overall election uh, wave, there's, some, there's one part that we didn't really mention, which was a millennial uh, transgender advocate journalist took a, uh, a state uh, representative seat from a guy who came up with the national model for a bathroom bill. And he had been in the state house in Virginia for 13 consecutive terms. And she beat him like a side of meat. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, her name is Danica Rome. She also uh, plays in a metal band. Pretty cool. Yeah, Danica just rocked his fucking face off. <laughs> when she first started running, she... <laughs> uh, when she first started running, um, she was quickly dismissed by um, by the R- uh, RNC. Bob Marshall was the name of the, uh, the person who Danica defeated. And when asked... This is a tweet from Nicholas Trevino. Hash, uh, uh, handle Bly Tarbell. Uh, when asked about Bob Marshall, Danica Rome said, I don't attack my constituents. Bob is my constituent now. <gasps> Burn! <Shame. laughs> I know, all right? All the shade of it all. Uh, oh I know, God. right? Throwing some That's sick great. shade. It's like an umbrella under here. Damn. And then, you know, at the, at, in, the, and in the same respect, still, uh, you know, coming off with the civil attitude there. i got to give her some credit for I that. I think it's great as well. I mean, just uh, look, I think... The trans community has like been used as a political football in the state of Texas for for a long time now, and was particularly used as, as a political football over the last year or so. Jeff Matier is a nominee for the East Texas bench, who called a six-year-old trans kid uh, evidence of Satan's plan. You know, he's uh, he's still up for the bench. Ted Cruz, after hearing about that, came out and supported. I think this is great. I also think it's great that a millennial one. I think it's great that a journalist won. I think it's great that an activist and an advocate actually won. I mean, this is an awesome candidate. I would love to see more people like this run for office in general. There are a lot of different. Um, there's a lot of different dimensions to this candidate uh, now. Now elect electee, um, and that's that's some good news. So um, don't be chicken. Run for office. Ooh. Which brings Daniel. us to our final story <laughs> of the evening. The ride of the chicken. A Trump tax scam protest. So what happened? You, so you sent us a link. I did send a link. From the yes. Houston Chronicle. That is that is from the Houston Chronicle, and we, we did do that. Um, so yesterday, actually, so if you have you heard about the Trump tax scam and kind of some of the provisions that have come out over the last week or so? Helps the rich, doesn't help the middle class and the poor. He's a regular that's, anti-Robin Hood. I, I am, uh, yes, that's, that is exactly it. It is a reverse Robin Hood that steals from the poor and gives to the rich, if you will. Um, and, uh, and it's a shame, this tax scam, because this tax scam has something for everyone in it. Uh, it. It gets rid of a renewables credit. It gets rid of the adoption credit. Uh, it gets rid of the student loan interest deduction. Uh, it's, it, is, it will move us from seven income brackets to four income brackets in an argument for quote-unquote simplification. But the problem is that the lowest income bracket, which will comprise people making less than $50,000 for their household, will see their taxes go from 10% to 12%. Or if you want to put it in the terms of the Chronicle, used to refer to Sylvester Turner's proposed top property tax increase, a hike of 20% on the lowest income bracket. Um, and it will cut the corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%. So it's really a throwback 
to the 80s, except you can double down on this. It's not economically sound. It is going to to make the deficit skyrocket. Uh, and they even tried to toss in an individual um, mandate, uh, uh, health insurance mandate, ACA repeal uh, provision into this, this plan as well. You've already seen the impact from the grassroots because they tried to get rid of the 401k and IRA, or they tried to cap uh, 401k and IRA contributions early on in this proposal, and the grassroots fought back and they got rid of that, of, of decreasing the cap. Which brings us to the chicken. <laughs> Because yesterday we paraded this giant Donald Trump chicken around to four major locations. Let me let me tell you about this chicken. Just like twenty feet tall. He's giant. Let me tell you about this chicken. This chicken is the best chicken. (laughs) (laughs) This chicken is the primo chicken. Um, It's got golden hair. He has golden, big, fat, white Trump hair. It's and when we say gold, I mean it's gold foil. Like this is legit golden hair. It has. It looks and like has a an ex- corn and sunset. <laughs> Pollo it, presidente. It looks and and waves and waggles around pretty much like Trump. It even has like the the signature. Um, what is that? It's like a okay sign in one hand and the pointing finger in the other. And you're right. It is 20 feet tall. It's sitting in the back <laughs> of a of a flatbed truck, and it is majestic. So what and angry. what what was the the Houston Chronicle? Did they talk to you? Like what? Uh, they you know, you know they, they were they, they interested in the. Uh, they were. They wanted to know why we were parading around a giant Trump chicken, you know? So uh, we let them know. We, we started off at the Harris County Tax Collector's Office, the tax assessor on mm. Preston Street. We went to Ted Cruz's office. We went by John Cornyn's office. And then we went by John Colperson's office. Any brushes with the police? Uh, no brushes with the police. There was a guy in a red uh, <laughs> red Mercedes, I believe, who v- v- was very angry that... Uh, Donald Trump chicken can't go faster than 30 miles per hour. (laughs) He he honked at our chicken chauffeur quite a few times and flipped in the bird. I just I just picture that that chicken waggling back and being like, "No, you fight me." <laughs> he was he was kind of waving back and forth actually. He was flapping his his feathers. Yeah. Um, but we we had a good time with the Trump chicken. Um, it's part of uh, there's it actually started the the whole Trump chicken thing started with the tax march, which was put in in order to try to pressure the president to undergo actual financial disclosure and release his tax returns. Mm. Now it's all over the United. United States. So you can find footage of uh, the Donald Trump chicken. Yeah, we'll post it up on our website at mockingbirdnetwork.com forward slash 610 news. You'll be able to see the chicken and and, uh, we'll post links to our other stories that we discussed here in today's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening to 610 News. You can uh, follow us over at, uh, what is it, Mm MockingbirdNetwork.com. You can find 610 News at MockingbirdNetwork.com. We also encourage you to follow other podcasts at MockingbirdNetwork.com, which is a wonderful uh, local podcast network, all Houston, all the time, all the Houstonians, everywhere, all over the place. We don't just talk about Houston. We talk about <laughs> arts and culture and uh, just stuff Relationships, that we love. nerd Real- culture. Exactly. You can follow yeah. my other show, Nerd Love. Baseball. Um, we Yeah, if you want to know more about baseball, uh, Daniel... Uh, oh, God, he's going to kill me. <laughs> it's not gonna- Daniel Cohen, right? No. I keep looking at Daniel <laughs> I do right, like in, baseball. right in front of me, and it's throwing me off so bad. 
but yes, you can you can check out Throwing Junk, which is about baseball, lo- the love of baseball and baseball history, um, and of course many other shows. In fact, uh, we're d- doing a show right now called The Gallery, which interviews Houston artists, uh, visual and musical, and they're going to be doing a special episode on Zine Fest. Uh, by the time this episode airs, Zine Fest will be over, but. If you ever get a chance to check out local zines in various coffee shops or wherever you go, please pick it up. Support some local art. I'm Daniel Cohen. I'm Brenda Valdivia. And I'm Abhinav Kumar. And this is 610 News, signing off. Mockingbird Network.